there's a reason they're starting to blur and there's a reason that other cards are starting to surface and capture your attention more than others What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Please follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Slab Stocks, and then click that little red subscribe button here on YouTube as well. I am joined today by Pete. Uh, his Instagram handle is at Card Futures. I would encourage you to pause the video right here. Go follow him at Card Futures. It's a new account. He doesn't have a whole ton of content out yet, but I do expect he's going to have a lot of cool stuff for you in the future. Uh, Pete, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, so, Pete, I know a lot about you now, but why don't you give uh, the back, your background, introduction, um, and I think people will catch on pretty quick why, why you're on here today. Cool. So, uh, my background is ultimately in design. I've spent about 20 years or so uh, moving from designing products uh, into more of like a research and strategy space and have spent probably like the last 10 years focusing on experience, strategy, user experience, customer experience, employee experience, but all doing it from a design mindset. Yep. And uh, so this, I'm the guy that uh, when I walk into like a grocery store and uh, I start pushing a cart and like one of the wheels is starting to go like la 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 la. And I'm thinking, I'm the one who's pushing the cart going, this is killing the brand experience of, the, the parent company that's three layers up or if I'm in like a, a an airport bathroom and I'm trying to just wash my hands and I got to get in front of that little infrared thing and I'm going like this and it's not releasing the water and I got to do a secret handshake in order to activate it. I'm the one who's trying to think about like, how can we transform this experience, make it better, think differently. So so while so while normal consumers like me, we we just suffer through that minor annoyance and then go on <laughs> with our day. And then I guess you'd have like, you know, engineering minds and mechanical minds, they'll be like, how could I fix this? And you're thinking like four steps above that and and like picturing the big company picture just on the basis of this one experience. Yeah, with the design background, I kind of need to be a bit of, of glue between like the engineering layer that might need to take action on what we learn yep. and the executive team where I need to kind of set a North Star for them and tell the customer story and how it connects to brand and then ultimately Get them to take action on it. So I need to play a lot of different roles with what I do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, Pete, he's in design, obviously, and uh, obviously, then the connection to cards is there's a ton of design <laughs> cards. Uh, but we'll get back to that point. How did you uh, get into cards? Can you give us your like, you know, your card collecting timeline? Sure. Uh, so I've been a massive NBA and basketball fan for my entire life. Um, goes goes way back to the days of uh, I started collecting around '87, uh, yeah, and um, was walking into stores. And at the time, it was Fleer, you know, 1987 Fleer. You're just buying packs and ripping them open, and no care whatsoever to how corners are getting bent, <laughs> yeah. and getting folded. You know, I had like four or five Jordans, and I was like, oh, I'll give you one of my Jordans. Give me your entire collection. Yep. And then I remember stumbling into a. It was like a flea market or something at one point, and they had these this 1986 Fleer. Um, they had like 30 packs, and I, and they were like two dollars a pack. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the one that was the year earlier that had Jordan's rookie card and a bunch of these other. I'm gonna buy like 15 packs of those. And so at one point, I had three Jordans. Oh, and and then fast forward to where I am now, you know, much much later in life, when I got you know married and two kids and. I run a business and um, I, I really had only held on to one 
of those Jordans and, you know, got it graded at one point. Um, and it was like, it was like a four or a five, um, yeah. had a had a, a Carl Malone, a handful of things. Um, but I, man hit college and it was like, I don't have any money. And yeah. so left, went, did the career thing, checked in every now and then just to kind of see what was going on in the card market. But ultimately I've been just a fan of the NBA and of the game. So I always know what's going on in the game, but I never really knew what was going on in the hobby. Uh, and then fast forward to this year, um, I'm one of those people that <laughs> sort of fell into this massive waterfall that came back into the market. And for me, it was um, the trigger for me that brought me back was when Kobe passed away because I was just like, damn, I'd, I'd really like to get one of his rookie cards and came back into it. And next thing I know, I'm right there with everybody else, like watching the last dance and going through COVID and the bubble. And I'm like, I got to get a bunch of this stuff. I got to get a bunch of this stuff. So I, I only have like a handful of cards, but the yeah. ones that I have are like, it's sort of like your favorite movies. Like the ones that I have are really, really good. Sports. That's the one big connective tissue from a lot of our younger selves and our, our current selves and our older selves as well. And I think the sports cards have a huge part to do with that too. Uh, so Pete reached out to me. Um, it was probably, what was it? A couple months ago, I guess. Yeah, I, I was yeah, I was doing my episode on um, just five inserts that I really liked. It was right, up, it was right after the Bucks uh, got bounced from the bubble, I remember. <laughs> and, uh, right. And uh, I said in there, there's a, this Stephen Curry Spectra card, which, you know, it's got this color burst on it and just beautiful card. And I said in the, in the program, I was like, yeah, I don't know why, but it's, it's probably like the nicest card I've, I've ever seen in my, in my, in my uh, estimation. And then after the episode, Pete reached out. He's like, hey, I know why that's the nicest card you've ever seen. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, because it's really nice. And he's like, no, there's a lot more to it than that. And then, you know, Pete, you basically said you're, you'll get back to me. You wanted to show me, but there's a way it all gets mapped out and stuff. And then, and then you kind of disappeared for a month and a half or so. And all of a sudden, you jump back in. You had all these different visuals and graphs and everything else that you're sharing. And I was, really, I was blown away because it's, it's an aspect of the hobby that I hadn't really considered before yep. but uh you know so the design there, there's actual design that goes into the cards which cue all the designers working for panini right now being like yes yeah, yes this is right. validation somebody put a light you know on top of it yes absolutely but this is the other thing too right it's like it's such a black box yeah. I don't even know. Do they have graphic designers at Panini? Or are these things being designed by vendors over in Italy or somewhere in Asia? I have no idea. Well, you know, the interesting part of that is, you know, the Topps 2020 series, and I know you're not a huge baseball guy, but you probably saw that a little bit. You I know, heard the Topps 2020 yeah. series was so popular because it was artists designing it. Yeah. And and I don't know how, I don't know anyone that designs at Panini, Panini but I imagine they have people in there with an art background and they're like, why isn't anyone freaking out about this? All these other cards that I was doing, this was art too. Yeah. Uh, I guess the way Topps was uh, pr promoting it, it kind of caught, um, you know, got really gained some steam that way. But uh, yeah, so there's, there's a design element to it. And obviously that sounds obvious, but you know, here at Slab Socks, and I think just kind of generally around the, the hobby, we talk about cards with the brands, you know, like, uh, prism optics select you know stuff like that we talk about uh, rarity so if it's numbered if it's short print super short print um you know people will talk color so it's like you know 
Luka Doncic's uh, blue prism. That's the one you really, really want, you know, the color matching. And, and that's pretty common for people to point to. But there's another element which you're going to get into, which is the actual visual design of the card. Yep. Uh, do you, should we just jump right yeah. into that? Yeah. So, so one of the things that I, I heard you say was, you know, something along the lines of, I don't really know why I connect with this card, but I, I really feel like it stands out and, and I don't really know why. And when I heard you trying to find the articulation for that, I was like, oh my gosh, I can tell you exactly why this thing is probably standing out. And I, uh, cause I remember I, I pulled the card up and I looked at it and instantly you saw this, this explosion of color yeah, uh, and just all, you know, all of this, um, very fluid and organic um, sort of design. So what you're seeing on the screen, this is what we would call a visual positioning map. Now, this is something that um, there's probably, you know, <laughs> 100 plus people that could get behind a screen right now and give you a better articulation than I can from a design, design standpoint about, okay, how this actually works. But that said, I've, I've been doing this for probably about 15 years or so, just pulling it up every now and then when necessary. Um, in my company, we just pulled out this exercise probably, geez, probably about four months ago, um, and as, as part of a strategy for an automotive company. And so this is this is a process and a way to think about the visual design and differentiation that's been around for a long time. Um, this is a tool that enables us to um, identify, like, okay, how do you make a coffee maker look different in terms of design? How do you make a, a mixer look different? You know, something that would be in the kitchen. But it can also be applied to graphics as well. So going from three-dimensional three dimensional world to the two-dimensional world. And the two-dimensional world is, is a little tricky when you start to involve things like realistic photography. So it's always sort of done with a, a bit of a grain of salt. It's a little bit more subjective. But in terms of thinking about you know, graphics and, and visual design and identifying um, the landscape of what could be in that space and what is visually going to stand out, yeah. more than anything else that's on the marketplace, this is a great way to go about doing it. So um, the example that I gave you, I'm going to switch over to um, um, this one that I did for Vince Carter's rookie cards. And the, you know, the, the Spectra conversation and, and thinking about the Curry card got me back to this, this thing of thinking about, in particular, Vince Carter's EX Century rookie, um, which on the screen over here in this little chart, you can see it's all the way over here uh, in the upper right. And that particular card has has really stood out for me for um, like the last six months or so, just sort of reinserting myself into the hobby and kind of looking around and, and seeing what's out there and um, very quickly being like, okay, I can very quickly identify, you know, which cards are sort of on an island on their own, um, yeah. visually highly differentiated, not really caught up in um, and this visual sort of mass that would be in the, you know, the center of this two by two matrix or even like up here in the upper left. And so the first thing I wanted to do was kind of walk you through, hey, let's let's take somebody from uh, a different era. You know, not now, because now there's a lot more rookie cards, but it makes sense to do it um, around, you know, the Kobe time frame, um, Vince Carter, because if you go back to Jordan and that era, you can say like, well, hey, let's let's look at uh, from a visual standpoint, all the Michael Jordan cards. And it's like, well. For rookies, you really only have the one that everybody kind of chases. But you get into this era, and there's just more. There's there's more options that you can pull from. Can you can you explain the? Maybe you're going to get into this extroverted, introverted, rectilinear, fluid. I'm sure people could figure that out. But um, yes, absolutely. Maybe. 
just keep keep me honest here because I can uh, I can steamroll for a while. Um, so the way that the matrix works is, and actually let's let's jump back here. Let's jump back to the the original. Um, if something is so, this central axis going vertical from introverted to extroverted, these are forms, designs, or visuals that the the further south you go, the more quiet and subdued and sort of pure geometry is going to live in this space. Um, you get a lot of Apple products uh, that are down in that space from a design standpoint. If you start to go up into the extroverted space, this is where you just get this explosion, um, either not necessarily of, of color, but of design elements, like yeah. visual elements, signature elements. Um, a, a great uh, comparison, if we take something like Apple, would be um, you know looking at, say, um, gaming rigs that have all these crazy die cuts in the metal and there's like you know multiple colors materials finishes it's just highly extroverted as you go from like that type of computer to something that maybe is designed more like apple and then from the left to right the horizontal axis you know this this linear to fluid what does that mean it means anything that's over on the left these are things that are more just linear rectilinear um yep. forms or designs that we would consider um very static Whereas if you go over to the right, things start to become more organic. They start to become more fluid. There's more um, like the transition from one uh, section of a design to another can often be like um, just much smoother. Whereas over to the left, you're gonna have like a really hard, sharp turn. Whereas over to the right, it could be a little bit more of like moving into a rotary as you move sure. from one part of a design to another. So this is the mindset that you then take into switching back to um, the Carter um, landscape this is the mindset that you take when you take this subset of cards. So I just went on to the internet and I just said Vince Carter cards. And I think it was like a, a, a Beckett article that said, Hey, do you want to chase Vince Carter? These are the cards that you should go after. So I grabbed those. And the first thing you want to do is just kill the color. You want to eliminate the color because you don't want to make it um, a study in color just yet. You really want to see from a design standpoint, where do all of these cards fall? And so with Carter, um, what's interesting is like the tops and tops chrome is in the bottom left. Everybody has seen, you know, that era of design. It's very, very quiet. It's very subdued. Um, it's uh, the 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 um, the energy of that card is just toned way down, with the exception, obviously, of like Carter going for that dunk. Right. But if you start to go up into this upper territory, you get into um, I think it was like Ionix or Hardcore or something that was over in the upper left, and then the the EX Century. You can just see that there's just so much more going on in terms of the graphics and the visual elements that are um, embedded into the design of that card. So it's going to be make it just naturally much more extroverted. And then as you think about things being linear versus organic and fluid, now you can really start to split them up left to right. And um, you end up with, uh, I believe this is, was, what is this, his SPX Finite um, rookie card uh, starts to fall into this area here. His SP Authentic is a little bit of a, a blend between the two where you have these linear elements, but it is in this sort of, uh, uh, you know, softened photograph that's in this uh, elliptical uh, kind of zone. But what this does is it pushes everything out. We can identify what are the designs that are visually differentiated from the pack. And then from that, we can start to make some assessments. So, so just to hammer this point home, you know, this isn't like other graphs where you see where it's like the top right quadrant is very good and the bottom left quadrant is very bad, you know, and like sports we're used to seeing that type of stuff, like good defense, good offense, you know, this is just, you know, 
any quadrant could be good or yeah. any quadrant could be bad depending on, you know, like if everything was extroverted and fluid, which someone might assume that's the best area to be. But if every card was extroverted and fluid, you'd kind of just exactly. get lost in the mass. And then you had one, you know, tops rookie card in the bottom left corner that was just so different from everything else. All of a sudden that one would really stand out, even though it was the most basic. So this isn't like trying to determine which is the best quadrant. This is determining, you know, what cards differentiate themselves from the rest by just standing out in different visual ways, whether it be more introverted or extroverted or rectilinear or fluid. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So like a couple of examples that are are more sort of embedded in the mess here. Um, the Flare Showcase um, rookie card, you know, a, a lot of people, we know that. So that's this one right here, right. Uh, Carter's Flare Showcase rookie card. You know, a lot of people are very familiar with that card design. Um, and this is the other thing. If any of these visuals and these designs resonate with you, fantastic. Like, it doesn't really matter where they are. But for somebody like me who is trying to look not only at cards from a financial investment standpoint, but also from a visual differentiation standpoint, like if I'm going to have something on my wall and I have a choice between three different cards, I, I want to consider aesthetics and design and what's that ultimately going to stand out. And so when I see like that flare showcase or the top's finest, it, it is kind of in this little bit of ocean of a number of cards that all kind of um, have a somewhat similar uh, aesthetics and a similar ballpark, especially, yeah. you know, you see that in, in the upper left here. And so, you know, we go to this next slide. That's one of the first assessments that you can start to do between the green and the red is to identify, all right, now that we know the landscape, where are the areas where um, the card is highly differentiated and really separates itself from the rest of the pack versus the cards that um, might be in an area that's a bit more saturated. And, and again, this isn't going to be necessarily something for everyone, but it's really for that segment where they're feeling like, you know what, aesthetic matters, or when I see something, it's just really sticky and I don't know why, and I'm really drawn to that particular card. This can kind of give you some insight as far as like, an, an additional data point as you're considering, you know, what card do I, what card should I buy? You know, a really simple question. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, is this, is this nine, is 97 is rookie year or 98? Mm, 99, I think. 99, okay. 99. So in that range, but so I like collecting um, Ray Allen rookie cards, Bucks fan, uh, Ray Allen, who's like my hero growing up. Uh, and one of the cards I've been chasing is his, uh, flare showcase um, and they have the 96 flare showcase has a subset which was the very first numbered cards they're numbered out of 150 it's the blue font instead of the gold font oh. I've been trying, been trying to buy that uh, Ray Allen blue fonted one numbered out 150 but they're going for like $300 and uh, generally that's more than I could stomach and especially if I wanted to sleep in my bed and not the couch <laughs> Um, so I want to buy that card, but the hard thing is it looks so similar to a lot of other cards that if I was to like buy it and put yeah, it on yeah. Instagram and be like, look guys, this is the first numbered card ever. I would have to go and explain and try and tell people why it's important. No one's going to be scrolling through their feed and like, yeah, cool. Another, you know, nondescript nineties rookie card, whatever, you know, it, it was like, it's hard for me to stomach the $300 purchase when I know that it looks very much like any 99 cent card I could get from the era. Basically um, it's just numbered, you know, that's so, you know, there's different 
points. I think the numbered stuff and the rarity, that that's a huge aspect to a card collecting and be able to say you own something that's one of 150 or one of 10 or one of one, whatever it is. Like yep. that's a huge part of it. But there's also the design aspect and, and obviously that's what we're talking about here, but I'm really appreciate you bringing that up because I don't think that's something that a lot of people are considering. Exactly. And so there's so much that can be measured, right. And it's tangible in terms of like, Oh, it's a refractor or it's, you know, limited supply or it's serial numbered or it's got an auto and yes, hundred percent. But at the end of the day, once you're done with that assessment, if you're left with three choices, you know, five choices, this is kind of the next tier that, that I move into. And so like the Carter EX Century rookie card, um, perfect example. So what you just talked about, I was looking at the Carter EX Century and, you know, they were going, I think a few months ago for, I don't know, raw, like maybe like $30 or something like that. And a credentials popped on eBay and it was a PSA 10. And instantly I was like, that card is going to sell for a ton of money because for everyone that is in love with that design and they don't know why, and they get the reassurance of a serial numbered card, I, I think you're gonna see almost a doubling down in terms of the investment. And that card sold for, I, I think, uh, so the next slide here, just taking a look at some recent PSA 10 sales. Yeah, it was over $4,000 for that card. Now, at one point, there was another one that went, I think a few months earlier, maybe it was even this one, but, I jumped in on the bidding when it was around 2000, knew there was no way 2000 was even going to um, buy that card just to be part of it. And then boom, it goes for over 4000. Yeah. Hmm. It's crazy. And then, yeah, so you have the price points of some of these other uh, differentiated cards, like particularly we see the Topps Rookie. And that really backs up what you're saying here that the Topps Rookie stands on an island all by itself different from every other card of, you know, of Vince Carter's rookies. Um, it's also tops. So it's, you know, the biggest one. Yeah. And that's where, you know, there's going to be plenty of people that can say like, well, of course this is the, you know, especially right. Chrome, that's going to be the one that people are going to reflect on. That's going to be the, the, the one that they're going to be thinking about. But I just find it really fascinating as you, as you start to think about where some of these values are going and where some of these prices are going and, and what people, cause it's always about, you know, especially with aesthetics and, and what can be, yes, it's somewhat subjective, but you can measure it here from a relative scale. Um, it still is somewhat about who's willing to pay X amount for that particular card. And it's just really fascinating to look at like a, a refractor of the Topps Chrome going for, you know, 5,790 was the last sale. And then again, seeing that credentials in the upper right popping for over 4,000. It's just really interesting. So where do we go from here? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and you know, the financial piece here is really more of a, once you've kind of gone through the visual design assessment, is there is there any additional layer that you can kind of pull out from a, um, just looking at like prior sales? And sure. in some cases you can. Um, and so what I like to think about once I go through that exercise is, okay, where might be my strategic, uh, strategic targets? Like what are the things that I think um, are going to be uh, timeless, which card designs are going to be timeless moving forward. I think that's something, you know, reflecting on this era, it's easy enough to do it with hindsight, uh, because you, you, you see all the cards and they've been around for a long time, but where we are now with the current era, like this is a big question I have is, Hey, 10, 15 years from now, what are going to be the cards that yes, they were rare. Yes. They 
were gold or yes, they were an X fractor or yes, they were serial numbered. We get that. And that, that uh, is, is what makes things so valuable. Um, but what are the designs that people just clung to for years? And right. you, know, you can think about um, like the, the Luca Prism rookie. I mean, this is just so much talk everywhere you look about that particular rookie card that that may be one of the timeless designs just from a standpoint of it was flashed in front of people like a strobe light for the right. last seven months while we had nothing to do but stare at screens all day. But from a timeless standpoint, thinking about, hey, can we identify, um, so like let's swing over into current era. So these are John Morant's, um, just a handful of John Morant rookie cards. I'm gonna uh, full screen this just so people could see it a little better. All right, let's do that. I don't know if that actually made it better, but we'll try. So yeah, so one of the one of the things, and to kind of really kind of dive right into this, one of the things I'm not doing with this, and you can, um, you'll spend a lot of time doing it, but I'm not including like you know the cracked ice or the orange cracked ice or you know just all these different variants um, that are out there. I'm really just kind of looking at the the base designs, and this is where I would encourage if there is a designer out there that understands this methodology and has the time to do it, man, you can, you can get a, a lot of attention um, by, by building these things out and really starting to see where are all those subtle variants. I think for the most part, we'll start to see, you know, things sort of layer on top of each other to some degree, especially with this recent release of the, um, what was it? The, the clearly like the Donruss Raider. Yeah. The Donruss clearly, I think it was called. Yeah. So perfect example. Um, you know, the Donruss, uh, rookies, the hoops rookie, this, you, you've got the optics. It's all this cluster that's down here in the lower left-hand corner from a visual design standpoint. They're all kind of layering on top of each other. And when you have the manufacturer saying, well, now we're going to make it different by adding a different material, um, or now we're going to make it different by adding a different finish, that's fine. Um, and you can make it rare by serial numbering it or limiting the run, whatever. Ultimately, from a design standpoint, you're still not visually differentiating yourself. Um, you know that much from that particular pack, and I, I recognize that there's uh, there is a lot of things you can do with visuals like zebras and tigers, and yes, it is going to go more extroverted. But you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. So like with the the clear ones, which I'm kind of interested in, but it's you can kind of tell already that it's interesting just as like a short term, like oh that's fun, that's different, that's new, but it doesn't seem already like it's going to be something that we're going to be talking about in 15 years. It's a, it's a color material finished play. This is something that's been happening in the cell phone and technology, you know, laptops and things like that space for well over, probably well over 15 years at this point. So, you know, looking at what manufacturers can do versus what they should do is a really interesting argument and discussion to have from, from a design standpoint. Um, again, like we talked about, like Panini, it's such a black box. Like, what, what, what is the design strategy that's going on in that space? You know, what is happening? What, what's interesting about what's been released so far with a lot of these um, this year's rookies? You know, if we compare this landscape versus the Carter landscape, you could actually argue that this landscape is a little bit more diversified. You know, it's a little bit more spread out. We don't have that that big cluster that's right in the center, like we saw with the. Um, with the Vince Carter cards. And so has that is that reflective of an era where design is becoming more important or is that reflective of a greater strategy that is going on within Panini as they're you know working with manufacturers and and figuring out what needs to be you know the next run. Um, so as we look at what's going on with Morant, 
uh, I'm going to go to the next screen here and sort of identify some areas that I think are kind of curious. Um, the things that really pop for me and, you know, national treasures. Yeah, it's going to pop. What's really driving that is is ultimately the swatch and the auto. But I find it really interesting that from a design standpoint, actually, it's pretty close to contenders. Um, just from a visual design standpoint, and it's sort of like they're not exactly on the same island um, for serial number reasons and jersey swatch reasons. But these are two islands that, you know, if you wanted to jump off that island and swim to the other one, you could. You know, it's pretty close. You don't need a boat to go from um, one island to the other there in terms of the design. Whereas Crown Royal, like, seriously, you're, you're probably going to get a plane and uh, and hop into that plane and fly. You're going to be going a good distance here. You're going to go over a, a continental divide in order to, to get where um, Crown Royal is. Right. So um, the Kaboom insert, the Crown... Um, the Crown Royale is is um, pretty unique. Um, the oh, and help me out here with this one here over to the right. Is that certified? I I can't remember what it's. It's this guy right here. So just in the the swatches, just to the right of the Crown Royale. I think that's certified. And yes. that that particular design stands off on its own. And then um, I feel the Select Courtside uh, is also on its own here in the lower right hand corner. What's really interesting is this band of mosaic to prism to select premiere and the select um, the the first the concourse. first the, what is it concourse yeah I <laughs> I'm always I'm often calling it the nosebleed <laughs> um, that, so that that little band there of you know mosaic to prism to two of the cuts from select you know just coming back into the hobby what i find so interesting is how many people are pushing for prism and select and mosaic and prism and select and mosaic and i look at this from a visual design standpoint and i'm kind of like geez it it would be nice if those are really four of your top um series you know, like what yeah why can't one be in one quadrant another be in another quadrant another be you know what i mean to really divide those up. And I, I think this is where I've struggled a little bit as I've looked at say Morant's rookie card uh, as a prism um, and saying, well, wh which one do I want to invest in? And I, and I ultimately, I, I didn't, um, I didn't go after mosaic or prism because I felt like there's something here before I did this chart where it's just, something's not timeless about it. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but I think this is interesting. I think this is a topic for discussion of actually four, you know, four of the top, um, you know, card series, they're all kind of clustered into this little neck of the woods here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because so, you know, what we do at slab stocks is we're not trying to, you know, we'll, we'll direct people more towards players, but as far as like, you know, prism, I always just talk in terms of prism because the market's spoken. It's like the market, they think of, you know, the market just thinks of prism as like, you know, the baseline, you know, that's the standard and everything else is judged off of that. And that's kind of how it's been for for several years now. So, you know, I just run with that. Although I also think there's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy aspect to this, where it's like, I talk about Prism because, and a lot, a, a lot of other card, uh, you know, content curators, and you're talking about Prism because that's what the market wants. But <laughs> you talk, it's, you know, just, you see this cyclical thing where I think it just maybe starts running, you know, it's a train running away. Personally, and why I really like this chart when you shared it with me is, is I mean, Prism's fine, Mosaic was fine, um, the other two select were fine, but I've always re really liked the select court side, you know, particularly the 
last couple of years, which looked this way. And yeah. like we talked about before, I didn't know why I liked it so much, but I just thought um, you had the you had the branding, which was correct. You have the uh, short printing of the of the select court side. And I always thought the visual appeal of it, you have the action shot and it's, you know, a little more fluid, I guess I know how to say now, uh, than some of the other cards, which are more rectilinear. And and without being able to put that stuff into words before, I just really liked that card. Now I understand visually why I've been, you know, gravitating towards that card. And, you know, and in that listens to my show a lot, they'll know I, I say, yeah, select court sides. I really like select court sides. And it's, it's nice to know that, you know, on your side of things that that kind of backs that up. Absolutely. I mean, courtside, as I've looked at courtside um, between 2018 and 2019, it, it's been the same thing with me where I'm like, man, this this design. And again, I didn't have the chart in front of me because I hadn't done the work. But when when you just when you've done it so long, you know, you can you can parse things pretty quickly in your mind. And so I'm thinking, geez, this one really stands up. But I kept seeing that certified and thinking the same thing of like, geez, there's something really unique about that design as well that's really kind of standing out. But with courtside, what's so interesting about the difference between 20, we were kind of talking offline a little bit, was I think I think 2019's design, absolutely, so far what, I, what I'm seeing in, in this exercise is, yes, it is off on, an, on its own, it's off on an island. And then all, for all the reasons that you just mentioned that are very tangible from an investment standpoint, this is one that, man, it feels like a strategic target. It's interesting in the discussion of, well, what's going to be more timeless? The, um, say the, you know, the John Morant, let, let's assume for a moment that <laughs> for all the, for all the John Morant lovers and all the Luca lovers that are out there, um, here's an interesting hypothesis. Let's assume that they both have the same exact career arc. Um, you know, let's, let's check back in like 15 years and see how close that was. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's say like, who's going to have the more, the more timeless courtside uh, more courts, more timeless courtside design. And I think it's an interesting argument because they are actually so close to each other um, on the visual landscape only because I, I don't even have to look at the Luca. I can tell you right now, it's probably um, quite close. Yep. But regardless, the nice thing about that is, well, at least we're not looking at two of the exact same designs. These are completely different players, entirely different narratives. And now you have the fun of being able to say, well, Hey, if you're going to go for a Luca, should I consider the Luca courtside? Like, it's no big secret. Yes, you should from a financial standpoint, right? But from a design standpoint, I've looked very quickly through the whole portfolio of Luca rookies, and I can say without a doubt that one is going to be a a timeless card um, from a visual design standpoint. And then as we look at the the John Moran here, you know, time will tell as we see the last few. I don't even know how many more products are going to be released with with Morant rookie cards that are still to come. Um, but I suspect the courtside might continue to be on its own here in the lower right. Yeah, and that's good. You know, I with the brand thing, you see the brand thing going on here because like certified, while it's by itself, it's just, you know, no one's no one's out there saying right. oh, Morant <laughs> certified. It's like, all right, cool. Um, you know, Crown Royale, like I love Crown Royale makes some sweet inserts too. And, you know, there's the other one on the island in the top right. Um, that and I don't know what that one's what I can't remember what that one's called. Um, I wanted to get a Tyler Hero from that set too, but uh, um, the the purple bluish one, you know, they stand out, but they're just like brand what brand recognition wise, just a few tiers lower. Um, and Is I don't, right I don't think it should be, yeah, that one right there. Yeah, I think that's Court Kings, Court Kings, that's right. Uh, Court yeah. Kings, yeah, right. So then yeah. you have uh, but then on the 
other side, you have like optic that's just so similar to everything we've ever seen. Well, but right now, it's, it's considered just because it's optic, it's considered like, you know, the second best investment card to, to buy because it, a lot of people are going after it. It's, uh, you know, they have variations. It's, you know, it's, it's been around for a number of years. You know, there's a bunch of reasons for it. But in 10 years, is anyone going to be looking at a John Morant optic and like, oh, my goodness, that's a John Morant optic. They'll be like, oh, cool. <laughs> really? It's like what had. Just throw it over, you know, throw it over their shoulder. Who cares? Well, it's fascinating because, you know, photography, I, I, you know, from an experience design standpoint and being a customer in this space and you think about consumers in general that are in this space, and purchasing this product coming from Panini, um, you know, there, there's an element of you're buying the product um, versus you're buying the, the the player. And I think you know you can look at something like Mosaic, um, Prism, and some of these that really have there's no realistic background. There, there's no sense of the court. There's it's a player that is being put into um, a landscape of graphic elements. And so you're really kind of, this is probably a little bit more of my personal opinion, but you're really kind of buying into the, the product as well as the player. And so that's what's kind of fascinating about the courtside series and what's going on with Select, where I think there's a, a healthier balance um, between the two as you, know, as you start to look at them. Yeah. Um, the, the other one that's kind of interesting here is, um, I had a bigger point to make there and I totally lost my train of thought. It'll come back around. The, uh, the, the, the crown Royale, um, is interesting because like I, I am, if probably my top five cards, if I could snap my fingers and, and own it right away, um, one of my top five would be the crown Royale Curry rookie card. I think the design of that card and the people who grew up with Curry in a particular demographic um, where it's just like, man, this is this is what is infusing your wiring, the experiences that you will be, that you will go through in life that will ultimately shape the perspectives that you bring to products and services and brand at a later time. The people who had Curry as a part of that part of their life, if you look at that age range and what they are into from a design standpoint, from a brand standpoint, I look at that Curry Crown Royale and I'm thinking that one is going to be timeless and it is going to be sought after and it's going to be a, a, an incredible card to have. And if I can snap my fingers, I would grab it. Um, what's interesting is I'm is not seeing the draw or the attraction to the Crown Royale cards um, today, like we look at this and we can say it's highly differentiated and it just doesn't pull the same kind of draw as some of these other cards. Now, I'm not saying Crown Royale and, and this Morant rookie card is going to be, you know, more timeless than Prism or Mosaic or Selective or some of the other ones that we mentioned long term. I just think it's a, it's an interesting thing to follow from a design standpoint. And ultimately, where where does that brand go? Because it's way out here on an island all on its own, and it's not quite, quite creating uh, you know some of the some of that draw. Even though it clearly a lot of time and effort is is going into well, then again maybe not because they designed the crown a number of years ago. Maybe I don't know. Maybe an intern's on that right now. <laughs> and it's like hey, we got the template. You know, you're good. Just continue to drop into different photography, and we know to. Um, you know, uh, run this on different uh, finishes or different materials, and you're good to go. 
Yeah. So what's the, uh, you don't have any more slides, do you? Mm, let me see here. Yeah, quick target. So, oh, I remember what I, so where I was going with that was, is, is the die cut Crown Royale, is it, is it gimmicky to the marketplace? And I know a lot of times when die cuts come out, they're not necessarily regarded as well as some of the full cut cards. And so I do wonder, huh, is there something going on there with, with the die cut itself and that it's kind of falling by the wayside right now? But where are we in the future with that? You know, I'm not really sure. So I think, I think that's, to, I guess, uh, to a you know, point, you know, the, the die cut thing, it's like, yeah, cool, differentiation, fine. But um, you do look at like Michael Jordan die cuts or some of the die cuts from the 90s, which are just like, you know, terrible quality to them, first of all. But, you know, some of those die cuts, they're really sought after now. And nowadays people are like, oh, my goodness, that's, you know, that's such a cool card. And so, you know, maybe that does change. Whereas right now we just want the rec you know, the rectangle. We just want the full card with the full art. But, you know, maybe someday. Are, me, you doing, are you doing a pack break right now? Let me, let me just uh, see what came in the mail today. Oh, my. It's a die cut Jordan. There you go. We didn't plan that. That's we didn't plan that. Uh, no, I, there, there is, there's something going on there. Cause at the, but the difference is, you know, at the time it, there were not many die cuts that were going on. If you look at what's happening now, there's, there's, there's quite a few, at least from, again, I'm not a hobby expert. I'm not a market expert. I'm just a guy, um, from what I've seen and just navigating eBay and looking out and seeing what's out there, it does seem like there are, there are, um, a number of variants that can become available as a die cut. And Crown Royale has been around for a number of years now, doing the crown, doing the crown, doing the crown. Has it become saturated? And that's why it's just not something that is visually unique. Like is, is the crown itself evolving over time in terms of design? Are there different ways that we can be doing a crown? There's probably jewelers that are like, hey, give me a call, talk right. visual signature elements with you. And we can kind of move the crown in different quadrants and give you something uh, you know different right. to look at. So what's the uh, what's the big takeaway? It's, uh, um, let's see someone fast forwarded to right now. You shouldn't do that. Well, if you're here, <laughs> if you did so, do that, back. But what's the you know too long didn't read? What's the big takeaway of all this? Yeah, I know. Oh man, spend some time with me. I, I get I get uh, accused of that a lot. Uh, so the too long didn't read is there is there's another layer to the decision-making that you can take into account when you are asking that simple question of what should I buy? Um, yeah. That's very different from what should I invest in? Right. There's two different things. There's what should I invest in where it's like, okay, I have, uh, that's my goal is I want to get some money back from this. Um, my focus is a little bit more like, well, hey, what should you buy? If you're going to buy something um, and maybe it's for personal reasons, maybe it's for your, your, um, you know, your own collection. Um, maybe it is you know, a little to a degree an investment purchase um, because you think the design might be timeless. There's another layer here that can be considered. There's another way to think about it. And when you're having those moments as you're looking at cards and you're like, oh my God, I've been spending all this time looking at all these cards and, and it's all starting, you know, these cards are starting to blur. There's a reason they're starting to blur. And there's a reason that other cards are starting to surface and capture your attention more than others. Now, as you recognize that, 
can, you know, is it worth, and this is the question that everybody has to answer individually. Is it worth taking that filter and adding it into your equation as you're buying cards? Or maybe, maybe it is fair to say if you're, if you're investing in cards is, you know, and I think different people are going to react to this in, in different ways because aesthetics can be perceived as subjective. It can be a, a very personal thing. Somebody's going to look at one of those cards that's caught right in a mess um, of, of a visual positioning chart say, well, that was my favorite card. It's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> We're not saying it's a bad design. We're just saying which of the cards that are, are, are highly differentiated and therefore is there a bigger conversation that we need to have about those cards as we're thinking about what do we buy? Yeah, and I really appreciate that because the I know when I when I've gone to buy cards before, you know, personal collection or otherwise, whatever, you know, it's the thought process doesn't always revolve around what I like. It's what do other people tell me is good or what do other people tell me I should like. And and it's like <laughs> for most things, that shouldn't be your your thought process. No, well, it's okay. Like you, I, I, you, moved, you picked out the cell phone cover you did for a reason, you know, and not everybody, there's 10% that are like, whatever, I don't care. Right. But there's a reason that you're drawn to certain things. And, you know, so it's a little bit of, there's another filter that you can take. And there's probably a little bit of like, yes, you have permission to be drawn to a card. There, There's a reason that you were potentially drawn to that. Um, yeah. And I just remember what I was going to say earlier at the train just okay. came. Full circle, but I, I keep keep going. I don't want to. Well, I was gonna say yeah. So you know, if you're looking for cards, don't think so much. Uh, what are other people saying I should buy? What would other people approve of? I I really do believe you know if a card stands out and you can afford it and you like it, you might as well buy it. And if enough people are thinking along these lines of yeah. of beauty yeah. and differentiation is is something that's valuable and something to be sought after. Well, then we're going to start seeing that this space start burgeoning investment-wise too. You know, if the only the reason why Prism is the big investor card is because everyone thinks it is. If, if, <laughs> they if, told if, me to do it. They told if, me to do it. If you had enough people that were were that were seeing beautiful cards and thinking, "Oh wow, that's beautiful. I need to have it." Well, supply and demand says it's going to increase too. So there is an investment side to this, but you know, just from a personal collection side. You know, go and buy the card that looks beautiful. And if you post it on your Instagram or whatever, and people are scrolling through and they see card after card after card after card after card, all of a sudden, whoa, that card stands out. There's a reason it stands out. You know, the, the whole beauty is not maybe necessarily subjective. There's actually like kind of a science to it. And but the nice thing is you don't have to have a graph necessarily to identify it. If you're scrolling through eBay and you see a, a you know John Morant, uh, you know, whatever card that all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you know, buy it. I, yep. you, have, you have our permission to do that. Yep. And so my my train came back into the station. All right. I, I was like, I had this really good point I was going to make and I completely lost it. Was because um, you were talking about the Don Russ. Yeah. The car, like the rated rookie. Like, is this really going to be timeless? The other thing that I think needs to happen is thinking about the customer experience in this space and, and demanding differentiation, you know, from the manufacturers, regardless of what sport you're into. This rinse and repeat stock photography, as you go from card set to card set, this is not a good thing. No. Like this takes the whole concept of visual differentiation and it dilutes it. So for anyone who is spending all of this time as a, maybe as a designer and they're building out this, the, the details on prism of all these little arcs 
you know, and just thinking about all these visual elements and this is going to be this year's signature. And now we're going to take the one stock photography that we don't want to have to keep paying royalties on and go, bam, use it on this card, bam, use it on this card, bam, use it on this card. That's going to hurt. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to say it's going to hurt the value of the card because I'm not a money guy, but it is going to hurt. It's going to dilute the value of these cards as the sets and the designs are attempting to be their own thing and they can't have their own identity because the company for whatever reason, again, black box is electing to make a rinse and repeat stock photography choice. And this is something that, Hey, if aesthetics and design and differentiation can become part of the conversation as we start to, and this is kind of what I want to get into with card futures is the future state of the hobby and how are we experiencing it? How can we redesign some of these experiences, create something that, you know, lowers the barrier of entry for potential consumers to come into the market, you know, makes it a lot easier, a lot more consumer, a little bit less industrial. Um, these are things that customers should be demanding from the companies and the card manufacturers. The NBA should have a say in this. The NBA, as they're looking at the next point when it's time to re-sign with Panini or give somebody else a shot, Right. need to be asking the question, what is your visual design strategy in terms of differentiation? Where are you going to take this forward? Because we can't just rinse and repeat color material finish and just keep, you know, waxing all these different um, versions of the same thing. Especially yeah. if you're just going to rinse and repeat the stock photography across multiple sets. That's tough. Adam Silver, I know you're watching this. I know you're a big, big fan, but uh, yeah. So Panini, I know you're watching this. Let's get some more differentiation. NBA, you'd you can hold them to the fire and, uh, you know, it, the more different, the more unique all the cards are, the better it is and the better the hobby is going to be long term. And just even right now for all of us, it uh, makes it a lot more fun uh, for each individual investor. All right. I know you got to get going. Yes, sir. So uh, thank you, Pete. Uh, you can follow him at Card Futures. Again, not too many posts there. You, you have the right guy. I think he has three posts, but he's going to start <laughs> posting more of this stuff. Pete, I'm going to. Hold you to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me there, and then uh, hoping to get into a, a lot of other things. Um, really, kind of looking at a lot of not just design, but experiences that are going yeah. on in the space, and how can we kind of change the equation? Well, I look forward to, to learning more from you. Thanks. Uh, so, thank you, Pete. Uh, thank to all of you. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. Please navigate over to uh, slabstocks.com. Scroll down to where it says the Sunday Slab Inbox Trading Trends. Put your email in the box there. You're going to get a couple emails a day. Uh, it would really help us if you read those emails and uh, clicked through them. Uh, and uh, you know that's going to get us through to our website launch, which is coming shortly. Uh, don't give up hope for that, but we are pushing through to the finish line. Uh, but again, thank you to all of you, and we'll see you again next week.